Praise the Lord, everyone. How's everybody enjoying the sunshine and warmer temperatures? I could, I could do without the ice slicks. Oh, goodness. Went out taking the dog out, and the leg went one way, the body went another, and the knee came on over. So I just sat down and grinded that thing back into place. <laughs> And my wife's looking, I'm like, look what it can do. <laughs> Just slopping around. <laughs> I know. Oh, well. It's one of those things. I got a glorified body coming. <laughs> Amen. With perfect knees. So this morning, we are going to be looking at John chapter 6, verse 19. And the Bible states, So when they had rode about five and twenty or thirty furlongs, they see Jesus walking on the sea and drawing nigh unto the ship, and they were afraid. So this morning, we are obviously going to be talking about walking on water. But the question for the icebreaker is, would you have rather been with the disciples on the first boat trip when he spoke to the waves or on the second boat trip when he walked on them? First? Second? First? He was on the boat. <clears throat> the first? I think I'd go with the first. I think I would too. As we look at this, um, it is surprising to me that there are people who claim to be Christian that deny what the Bible is teaching. I mean, just outright deny it. Well, Jesus didn't really walk on water. Really? You don't say. And how do you gather that? Well, that's just, you know, a mythos and... How'd you gather that? Well, you know, they just, they make these things up to try and show. Really? That's wild. Well, God didn't really create the, the world in six days. It can't be done. I'm like, um, are we talking about the same God? I mean, well, it couldn't be done in six days. Like, uh, well, the God that I believe in didn't need six days. I mean, it's just for my benefit. He didn't speak at all in one moment. He spoke something. He waited. He looked at it, saw it was good, called it good, ended, and spoke the next day. Like, I don't understand why people have a hard concept believing God can do these things. 
And yet, if I look at my own walk, I know that God can start to speak in my prayer room. And God can start to speak prophetically up here. And God can start to speak what he wants to do. And then all of a sudden I'm like, well, I don't know. So I understand, I'm not condoning the unbelief, but I'm not trying to sit down and look my nose down on it. But I just find it fascinating how people want to dismiss what God can do. And in this, this is actually an interesting story to me, an interesting account. It's because it's a repeat. It's almost verbatim a repeat. We're coming off of feeding the 5,000. And when he asked, hey, let's feed the multitude, they had already done this. And their answer was, well, we only got but like five loaves of bread and three fish. What are we supposed to do with that? Really? Why would you ask such a question when he just performed that miracle in your walk? But if you look at the scripture, they are just finding out about John the Baptist being beheaded. And it is amazing how pain and loss and tragedy can cause you to forget what God has done. And quickly. Now, the multitude was following Jesus. And as the multitude followed Jesus, we have to discern and we have to describe and we, we need to acknowledge that there is a difference between following God and being a disciple of God. The follower is only concerned about being fed. The disciple is commissioned to make sure that they're fed. You're here to serve. The church will be filled with both. There'll be some that the only thing that they care about is seeing a miracle getting some bread, getting a good word, and going home. That's all they want. Okay. I can, I can stand up here and preach till my face turns blue that you're really selling yourself short. But there are going to be many that that's all that they truly desire. They desire the show. And the ones that really desire the show are going to go to whoever is the hottest preacher at the time. I don't care who the hottest preacher is. I know I'm certainly not it. What I'm listening for is, did you get a word from God? Do I believe you were in prayer listening for what God says to the church? That's what I care about. 
And if you, if pastor wanted to stand up here and just say, look, the Lord laid this scripture on me, go home and meditate. Okay. I, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. If the Lord laid that on him, then that's what I'm chewing on. But the multitude, while they followed, they also departed. They were okay with departing his presence. Because the fun was over, it's time to go home. And the worst part about what's happening here is that there is a deception that goes forth during this moment. The multitude believe he's the king and that he's come to destroy the Romans. We want to make you king. The danger of following and not serving is you are going to misunderstand what God is doing at that moment. You're going to try and seize God into your will rather than you submit and follow His. This must be what He's doing. This must be what God's doing right now. This is what God's got for us at this moment. And there's many people that'll do it. That's why anything I ever say, you are not going to hurt my feelings to take it to your prayer room. I encourage you emphatically to pray about it. Please. I know what I heard, and I am rather confident, not arrogant, but confident that you will get confirmation. If not, I am confident you shall bring correction. <laughs> That's okay. I'm up for that too. But they were staring at Jesus thinking they knew what he was going to do. And I don't want to just lay this on the multitudes because Peter at one point, said, far be it from you, Lord, that you would die. And God's going to look right at him and tell him, you get behind thee, Satan. Boy, I don't know about you. God, God has spanked me at times in my prayer closet. He has never outright called me Satan. <laughs> that one would really hurt. The pastor might get a text in the middle of the night. Like, I, I need your prayers. <laughs> he called me Satan. <laughs> but when we really believe that we know and we can force God into what we think we know, what he does is he departs from them. This is dangerous. This is dangerous for a church. We are nothing if he leaves. We're not. Religion feeds you the lie that if you just keep doing well enough, you can somehow earn this. Now in Christianity, they might not outright preach that, but they'll allude to it. Well, you can do this and God will. Uh, 
What? God will what? There is nothing I have done before or since that has made me worthy of anything he has given. Nothing. And I can't earn it. That's the whole point. I can't earn any of it. This whole thing that God is doing right here is simply Him. The reason we're saved is because He desired it. He sacrificed for it. He paid for it. He wanted us. You can sit here, well, I got baptized. Not if He wouldn't have been recognizing that baptism. If He didn't put His name and blood in that water, you could dunk yourself as many times as you want. If he shut his ears to repentance, you can say you're sorry as much as you want. There's no salvation. It is God and God alone. And one of the things we need to recognize is that there is a tendency that when we're following, we think we can know the next step. This must be what God is doing. I tend to refrain from that unless I'm getting something that is jumping and it's unctioning from the word or in prayer. Hey, I really don't know. Don't listen to me. I don't know my next step. I have to be in prayer. But he told the disciples, I need you to go into the boat. I need you to cross. Now, the reason I said that I'd rather be in the first one is because that second one seems horrendous. I don't know if you've paid attention and you've really looked. I'm not, I'm not accusing anybody. But they got in that boat at evening. At evening. We're talking 6, 7 o'clock. Evening. And then all of a sudden, they are rowing three to four miles out. And right when they're in the center, the waves and the wind are completely opposing them. I don't know about you, but there is no time in my life, no Marine Corps fitness, no combat readiness, where you could stick me on a row machine for nine hours and just say, go at it. And I know that they were probably trading off. But my goodness, you want to talk about labor intensive. You are putting everything you got into this. And you're reaching a point that the gains don't even begin to equal the output of effort. You are struggling to gain an inch. You are clawing for everything. And the last thing you heard is get in the boat and Jesus rather go walk with the multitudes. You don't even know where he went. Let 
Now we know because we get to read. But they didn't. It says they stood at the shore and waited. And he didn't show up, so they just got in the boat and obeyed. And here you are in yet another storm. And this isn't, this isn't modern technology. We got nothing but oars and nothing but absolute back-breaking labor. And the problem is, is the waves are opposing them to the point that they can no longer gain ground. And you're not with an outboard motor. It's not like you could just time the waves and turn this thing around. Oh, well, I guess we're not making any effort. Because if you dare do that, you're going to take one broadside and potentially kill all of you. You're in a storm that you have no option but to keep going because your life depends on it. I don't know if anybody's ever walked in some storms like that in their walk. And only to find that in this one, you don't even feel like God's with you on this one. Because in the first one, he was in the boat. See, I know that preachers, we can get all, Jesus is in the boat. But there are times he's not. There really are. And it is all about perceiving his presence. I could look over and see him. Okay. Now the first one, unlike the second, said that the boat was filling with water. But it wouldn't sink. Now I tend to believe that's because the enemy constantly tries to take opportunity wherever it presents itself and thinks it can drown or get rid of the one that's with you. Now, I don't know how Jesus stayed asleep the first time. I will wake up if you hit me with a cup of water, let alone a wave. I don't know if that's a testimony to how exhausted people make him. I don't know if he was just... One eye, like, seeing how they'd react? I don't know. I mean, it's filling with water. It's not like he had a cabin. Was he sitting there with his nose and mouth just above the water? Everything else? Just, I don't know. But they went and woke him up on that first one. What do you do on this one? What do you do? But Jesus shows us something that is vitally important. He shows us that after the bread was dispensed, after the food was given, it is time to go find a place of prayer by yourself. And I really stopped as I was studying this. I really stopped and thought about that. that far too often I leave here while I may meditate, while I still chew, and I chew for days on a message. I really do. I've still been chewing on what pastor preached. 
I've still been chewing on what Sister Donna preached. The reaching out. I still meditate on that. But rarely do I leave this house to rush home to get to my prayer closet. Rarely do I do that. If I feel like I just got to be deep in prayer, I'm dug in right here. But this is not alone prayer. This is corporate prayer. Now, I may be praying individually, but this is not the same thing as my prayer closet. It's not the same thing as yours. And yet Jesus, if we're supposed to be like him, shows us that when the food has been given, it is time to go to your prayer room. And here's something that I caught that I haven't seen, is that when Jesus on the first one was there, his presence was there, but his eyes were never open. And on this one, he positioned himself that his eyes never left them. He saw them as they went into the storm. Because... They needed to learn this lesson. He was going to ascend on high, and they had to know that no matter what they went through, he was watching. He had his eyes on them. And Jesus demonstrates something to me that the only way to keep your eyes on what is important is to get in prayer. Because if you're not in prayer before that storm arrives it is easy for your eyes to be taken by the wind and the waves. It really is. You are playing a dangerous spiritual game if you wait to hit your prayer closet after the storm has arrived. I do not down anybody, but I promise you that game has been played by people who no longer sit here. It is a losing situation. There is a reason you must be prayed up. You cannot keep your eyes focused on what is proper and what is right without getting in alone time with God. It is impossible. My nature is demonic. It is sinful. Nobody had to teach me how to sin. None. none. I just did it. And believe it or not, the more I did it, the better I got at it. I just got a PhD in sin. Never had to study, never had to submit an assignment. But Jesus says, come learn from me. Because I cannot know him without him teaching. I cannot know his ways without him teaching. I cannot know his thoughts without him teaching. He, he straight up describes, my thoughts are so much higher than your thoughts, there is no way you could ever reach them. As far as the heavens are from the earth, so are my thoughts from your thoughts. And we don't even know how far the heavens go. 
So I don't even know how far his thoughts are from mine. Because I would have to at least have a known measurement before I could go, man, that's, that's, woo. The further we look out in space, the further it goes. They're like, oh, we think we found the end. And they look, nope, never mind. <laughs> and it's the same with Jesus. Paul says, I wouldn't have you ignorant about the devil. You can know the devil. But you will constantly need to sit down with Jesus. I've never had to sit down with the devil to know what the devil's up to. And even non-spiritual people know what the devil's up to. Just ask them, what's the devil doing in the church? Oh, he's doing this and this and this and this. <laughs> okay, what's Jesus doing? And you'll hear crickets. Because you can't perceive that by just looking around. The problem is they find themselves in a storm. And while they're rowing, there comes a time in your walk and in a storm where you have to know what you're rowing for. There are times that everything becomes so strenuous and so laborious and so exhausting and seemingly so fruitless and pointless that why do we continue to beat our heads against this wall? He said we're going to the other side and I am going nowhere. Nowhere. I pray, I don't move an inch. I don't pray, I don't seem... It, it seems to make no effect. Fast, don't fast. Read, don't read. This is at the point of the fourth watch when it is darkest and you are most exhausted and the wind is howling to you, give up. It's all for nothing. At this point, you are not striving to get to the other side. You are striving to hold your ground. And the reason you are holding your ground is because you are holding the position where you're about ready to witness God walk. When you get to a place that you feel like you are fighting tooth and nail just to get an inch, you are literally at the place that God is about ready to demonstrate the miraculous. You are about ready to see what you have never seen before. And that's why you keep rowing, so that you don't get knocked back and so you don't miss this critical moment that God said, I'm going to meet you. And when you want the God of the impossible, he meets you where you can go no further. He meets you where your strength can no longer get victory. 
He meets you where your endurance is failing. There are times where these moments remind me why my prayer life is so important. Because I can become religious in my prayer life. I can. Without even meaning to, it just can happen. I can start to go through the motions and then all of a sudden it becomes a petition list. And it's all well intended because I can, I can pray for you guys for days. And I'm not standing up here and boasting, but my whole prayer life is just consumed with everything. That prayer list can be long. We all know it. We've all been on it. The prayer needs are never ending. But I can use that prayer list and without meaning to, all of a sudden my prayer closet has grown without intimacy. The intimacy has grown cold. It's all about, well, we have this going on. The storm's on this, and the waves are breaking the bow over here, and this person's exhausted, and on and on and on, and sickness, and on and on and on. And I forget that God just really just wants to hear from me. There's nothing more than just, Lord, I really miss your presence. Lord, I just need to sit with you. What did Moses do other than sit and talk with God? Really? It's what he did. He used to sit and talk with God all the time. And now God is showing them something that is vital. He's showing them how to walk in what the first boat ride declared. He's showing them how you can step in peace rather than just talk about it. Because the church needs to both declare and walk in the dominion of God. We need to. You do not have your feet shrouded with the gospel of peace so that you can walk through a world that is full of peace. He said, peace I give unto you. You know why? Because you're going to have a lot of tribulation. I give you peace. And John the Baptist declares, nobody is even worthy to take that sandal off. That sandal, that boot, comes from him. Not me. Not you. And nobody is worthy to stoop down and unlatch it, what is his. And so all of a sudden, here comes Jesus. And there's another thing that is revealed by the storm, is they immediately cry, it's a spirit. Because have you ever been in a storm so bad that you think everything coming must be demonic? It can't be angelic. And it certainly wouldn't be him. Those are bad storms. When the next thing that's moving, you must think it's against you. But here's what's so wild. Is Peter gets a hold of something that the church desperately needs to get a hold of. Is Jesus told them in John 5. We're in John 6. In John 5, 
He says the son can do nothing except what the father shows him. Now, he commissioned them. He sent them out two by two. Why? Because he had shown them. Heal. Cast out devils. Heal the sick. Preach. Kingdom of heaven is at hand. Tell them. He's been showing them. Now, here is the father. Robed in flesh. And Peter says, Lord, if that's you, invite me to do as you do. And if you stop and think about this, this is basically Billy Cole's entire ministry at Because of the Times. He would try and preach faith, give one demonstration of faith, and expect everybody there, because you're supposed to be a licensed minister to be there, to exercise what was just shown by the Father. But religion says, well, Billy Cole must be a super righteous man. The guy kicking a man in the back of the head on the tuk-tuk. Yeah, that's... Now, I'm, you know, I'm not faulting him at all. I would have kicked him with both feet. <laughs> but he's trying to show... If God will show you, it's so that you can do it. So that you can walk in this. That's the whole point. Is to take them to a place where God opens up a dimension you didn't even think was possible. You never even considered. You, you have these people who have been hearing about the story of how they were led on dry ground through the sea, and now they're watching God Almighty walk on the sea. He doesn't need no ground. He makes His own. And here's what's so amazing about it, is they're now getting back to a Noah place. Because in Genesis 1-2, when it was nothing but water, the only thing that was ever known was God's Spirit moving on it. When he flooded the world until it covered every mountaintop, Noah was in a place that had only ever known God's Spirit moving in it, and he was sitting there. Him and his family. But now the disciples are watching God Almighty move across the face of the waters again. The only difference is, is God said, follow me, and they want to see His glory. And if you read the dimensions of the ark, what they're in is no ark. And that ark didn't have a whole bunch of portholes in the side so Noah could look and be like, well, this is what God's doing out there. He had to send a bird out. What's going on out there, buddy? Bring something back. And here's what I discovered. Is if you really want to follow God into deep water, if you really want to see His glory, pastor preached it, there is a price to pay for the knowledge of God. There is a price to be paid. And this price, if you really want to see what God can do, it is going to show you what you can't.
and it is going to tear down the perceived safety of the ark until you are sitting in a little rowboat. Because to be exposed to his glory, you have to be willing to be exposed to the storm. And most of us get so consumed with the storm that we start screaming to God while he's on the mountain, get me out of this, and we're not even willing to wait for when he walks. But we have been preached to this year by our pastor, there is an open door. There is an open door. Now, do you believe, honestly, that God's just going to open a mediocre door? That takes absolutely no faith to walk through? That is not what I've been hearing across the pulpit. At all. And what's amazing about this is that they feared. They feared. Because fear is going to become your greatest adversary when God starts to walk in the impossible. Do not be afraid, it is I. And when they received him in the boat, it says they ended up on the land. Because the quickest way to get where God told you to go is to bring him in it. As pastor preached, behold, I stand at the door and knock. Open the door. It's the fastest way to get where God said you're going. Because all of a sudden, it doesn't even say that the storm stopped on this one. It just said they showed up. Hey, I'll take the wind however it comes. Let somebody else deal with those waves. But what is troubling is it says their hearts were hardened. Why? Because they did not consider the fishes and the loaves. When you are in your worst storm, it is time to remember what God has done. It is the only thing that is going to protect the hardness coming upon your heart. The only thing. Because I am a fool if I believe that a storm will not harden me. I am a fool if I think I can endure the tossing of the waves and it not start to desensitize me. It not start to bruise me until I become bitter. Until all of a sudden I don't want to hear and I don't want to believe. And here's the thing that is worrying me more than anything is Jesus told them, Woe unto you, because if these works had been done in Sodom, if these works had been done, they would have repented. Hear me, church. God help. God help us. God help the church. 
if he has to show mercy by withholding the miraculous because we can't walk in repentance. Because we won't survive the judgment standard that comes with it. The open door is an open door to get out of the boat. And a walk of faith will put you in a place where he has to completely uphold you. Peril may come, but God will not let you be overtaken. Peter sank. He did not drown. But you know what Peter got from that? After that, he said, you are the Christ. You are the son of God. Because God doesn't even waste our stumbles to show us revelation. Because God is merciful. We don't need to be afraid to walk on water. You just got to be willing to go. The steps are not upheld by Peter. You think Peter was hiding that from all his fishermen friend that he could walk on water? <laughs> I mean, come on. You'd be the coolest fisherman I've ever known. <laughs> like, I'm out to cast the net. <laughs> there goes Peter. <laughs> sure he'll get to the spot first. <laughs> no. Because in those places, flesh cannot glory. This is what we're being brought to. And we know we are because we all have those promises. Those promises that are beyond flesh's comprehension of how this can even happen. Where if you're honest, your prayer room at times has said, God, I don't even see how this is ever going to come to pass. I'll tell you how it's going to come to pass. Because God can walk on water. That's why. Because if this is impossible for men, all things are possible with God. And the only thing that we need to do is when we see the move, it's not time to be quiet. It's time to cry out. Because we don't want to have a move of God and be like, oh, it was such a great move. And he just passed us by rather than us cry out, take us into that dimension. Take us into that dimension. Because church, it's not enough for me to say I saw an open door. I want to walk through it. I want to be on the other side. And not every open door is going to be great. Mind you, open doors are a two-way street. When that lion's den opened its door, Daniel came out and the accusers went in. Depending on what side of the door you're on is going to depend what this open door might mean. Because judgment sits at the door as well. But we have God who walks on water. And that even when I fail, even when I'm afraid, all I have to do is say, Lord, save me.
I have never known a God that through my often failure to have full faith has not reached down and helped me. And then when I, well, I failed you, I can't do that again, just says, just believe in me and try again. Believe in me and try again. Because we don't walk on water. Jesus does. But because he does, he invites us to walk with him. That is the beauty of this church. We get to walk in the impossible. Amen? All right. Well, make sure you greet one another. Make sure you get your eyes on the proper place. Get your heart ready to receive some fresh bread and some good word from God and get ready to praise His name and worship. Amen?